Well, we're going right now into week two of our vision series, and my buddy Grant's going to take it away. He's, there he is. All right. In the front row, enjoying worship with my family, which is always a good thing. So I'm going to invite you to grab your Bible, your outline, or the CTK app. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 3 this weekend, and ready or not, here we go. Unable to sleep because of the jet lag, I stumbled out of my hotel in India looking for something that would help me rest, and I walked about as far out into a a foreign land as I was comfortable, which was about 50 feet out of the front of the hotel where we were staying at, and I found a tiny little corner store that was open while I was still awake. In a foreign land, a, a tiny little English sign captured my attention and drew me towards this little store. It it said these three words, ice cold milk. And I thought, that sounds perfect. I can't sleep. Maybe that'll help. I don't know what I paid in rupees, but I stepped outside of the little store after I'd made my purchase and I drank and I knew I was in trouble when the first chunk hit my teeth. And I spewed out that vile, lukewarm liquid everywhere on that sidewalk. And never before has Revelation chapter 3 been so real to me. And it reads, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot, I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Aren't you glad you came to church? Let me unpack the first section. Laodicea was an incredibly important city in Asia Minor. It was part of a three-city cluster that included the cities of Hierapolis and the city of Colossae. If you were here during the series, that when we talked about Colossians, that was where we were centered geographically. Laodicea was sandwiched somewhere in between Hierapolis and and, and Colossae. Kind of like Bellingham is, is sandwiched in between Vancouver and Seattle. And there's a church there. And to the church, and I want to make sure that we're very specific here, to the church, God begins to make a very unsettling declaration. He says this, I know your deeds. I know you. I know you're good and I know you're bad. I know your faithfulness and I know your idolatry. I know when you're honest with yourself and when you're in complete denial. I know every secret sin you've ever tried to sweep under the rug. I know that your idleness has now pushed you towards indifference. I know you. Does that make anybody else uncomfortable? He knows us corporately, individually. He knows what I've gotten right so far today and when I have failed tragically. He says, I know your deeds. And then he goes on and says, and I know that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Growing up in my little conservative Baptist church, I always understood this passage this way. I thought this was how it worked. Hot was good. Those were the good people. Those were the Bible-thumping Jesus freaks that didn't give a care about anybody else. Those were the people that would sing the song that we just sang about walking on water and actually believing that it was possible. Hot was good. I thought cold was bad. 
I thought cold people were cold towards the things of God. They were isolated and alone. Somehow they had disconnected from God or God had disconnected from them. And just being cold, it wasn't good. And I didn't like those people because I'm kind of warm fuzzy, right? I like hugging people. And I thought lukewarm was worst. That's the apathetic, uncaring, ignorant, legalistic, religious people who, according to Scripture, claim to know God, but by their actions they deny Him. Tough verse. That's how I understood it, but the truth is I was wrong. I was just wrong. I mean, if you read the Bible closely, that's not what it says. God says He wishes that we were either hot or cold. I mean, read it for yourself. God says, I wish you were one or the other, which means this, okay? It means hot is good, okay? Thank the Lord for all the Bible-thumping Jesus freaks in the room, okay? But it also means cold is good. I'm going to unpack that in a little bit. It still means lukewarm is worst. Can't get around that one. Now, some of you are sitting here going, what? Cold's an option? How does that work? Let me unpack this for you, okay? A member of the church of Laodicea would have read this and would have been deeply offended because it was so personal. This is right in the face of a Laodicean believer. And there was no way to duck around it. Let me tell you why it was so personal. Six miles away, the city of Hierapolis was known for its hot springs. In fact, let me show you a picture. These are the Travertine hot springs in Hierapolis. Wouldn't you love to go soak there for a couple of hours? People would flock to Hierapolis. They would go there and soak because the hot mineral water helped their broken bodies. Roman soldiers were sent there for rest and relaxation because the healing components of that water helped them recover from their battle wounds. Now, 11 miles away in the opposite direction, the city of Colossae was known for a different kind of water. It was known for their incredibly cold, fresh water springs. Let me show you a picture of some of the piping systems that are still there to this day. At the, at the foot of Mount Cadmus, this is where you went if you needed pure, cold refreshment. If it was a super hot day, like we have had so many this summer, and you just needed a really, really cold drink of water, Colossae was your location. It's hot or cold. Now, here is the kicker for Laodicea. Laodicea had no water supply of its own. So it piped in all of its water from the city Hierapolis that was up to the north. And by the time the mineral water made its way through six miles of aqueducts, guess what? It was no longer hot. It was lukewarm. And because it was lukewarm and laden with all of these minerals, let me put it to you nicely, it stunk. It was gross. Nobody wanted to drink it. Nobody wanted anything to do with it. It was lukewarm. It was neither refreshingly cold or medicinally hot. It was lukewarm. If you're a Laodicean churchgoer and you hear those words, it's like, offended? Yes, you are. And God says to that church, I just wish you were one or the other. I wish that you were so hot that people around you could find relief for their broken hearts when you speak of Jesus. 
Or he said, I wish you were so coldly refreshing so that people around you could find the living water of Jesus. But instead, that's not what I find. You're neither cold or hot. You are lukewarm and you have no effect. In fact, it leaves people wandering around your life wondering, why in the world would I want what they claim they have when it doesn't do anything for them? They're just as messed up as I am. They don't have any more answers than I have. We have all experienced the distaste of meeting someone who claims to know God, but everything else in their life preaches a completely different message. It's gross, isn't it? Anybody? It's gross, isn't it? To the church in Laodicea, God says, I know your deeds. To the church in Bellingham, I know your deeds as well. When I read this over and over and over again this week, I kept thinking back to the little tagline that I used in our last series about God speaking. I often want to hear God until He speaks. Anybody else in the room going, I love hearing that stuff, man. Call me out. All my garbage. Let's go for it, right? We want to hear about how good we are, how amazing life is. Followers of Jesus, it's gut check time, so let's do this together. Now, if you're here this weekend and you're just investigating this Christianity thing, somebody invited you, just checking out church, can I, inter- can I just in- uh, invite you to do something? You can just sit back and smile while the rest of us squirm for the next 20 minutes or so. Because this is written to believers, and because God doesn't pull any punches, I'm not going to either. And you can pray for courage right now. Verse 17 says, God speaking, you say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and I don't need anything. But you don't realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Now, this is where we all take a pass, right? We're just like, we're not rich. We get to take an exemption on this one. We're not rich at all. Can I ask you a question? In comparison to who? In comparison to the neighbor who drives the same kind of car you do, or in comparison to the, to the other 70% plus population of the world that lives and exists on less than $2 a day. Do you realize that just by sitting here today, you are in the top 3% of the richest people on the face of the earth? Don't hide your cell phone. Leave it out in the open. If you've had more than one meal today, That puts you in the top 3%. Let's have some perspective, okay? We say, we're not rich in comparison to who? We compare laterally and up really well, don't we? We don't usually compare down so good. Because that's where God usually takes issue with us. Here's God's issue with this church. He says to the church in Laodicea, you're self-sufficient. That you actually think that your worldly, worldly wealth matters. You actually think you're going to be able to hook a U-Haul to your hearse. You actually think you can take something with you. But here's the bad news. You came into this world naked. You're going out exactly the same way. And yes, you can tweet that right now if you want to, okay? You just think you're fine on your own. You think your human effort and your innovative spirit is enough. You are self-sufficient. You think somehow on your good effort in being a good person, that's what's going to qualify you to run across the finish line of heaven. And the Bible says, I don't think so. God takes issue. He says, you're self-centered. 
Because you're focused on you. You want everything to revolve around your comfort, your convenience, your preferences, your opinion. I mean, I'm not preaching to anyone else in this room tonight other than me. Because that's my whole world, right? Is it just going to be good for me? You're self-centered. I mean, when was the last time? I'll tell you when. It's been about since Thursday where I had a competing mission. The mission of Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Do you know how long that lasted on my Thursday until my mission tried to intercept that one? Right up until the point where I wanted coffee. And all of a sudden it's just like, am I on mission or not? Is that the most important thing or is it not? He takes issue with them because they're self-justified. He says, you believe that God's standards are for everybody else in the world, but that you're the grand exception, which means you get to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, and you justify it all because you think God graves on a curve, and someday he's going to call it all good because after all, he's this incredible God of love. That's true. He's also a God of justice who calls things as he sees it. Here's probably the hardest one. He takes issue with this church because they're self-deceived. These words sting. They stung me when I read them. It says, you think you're wealthy, but you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Can I say it for everybody? Ouch. Ouch. Let me say this again. If you're here this weekend just investigating the claims of Christ or you're not a follower of Jesus, you just sit back and enjoy this moment and the rest of us are going to squirm on the end of this hook for a little while. I'm squirming and I'm not preaching to anybody except me, okay? I'm uncomfortable with my own question from this week. Am I lukewarm? I claim to be hot. I hug people, so I must be a little cold, right? But is my reality, am I, am I really lukewarm? Am I self-deceived? Am I so into my way of thinking that I can't even see how broken I am? Okay, let's cross the line from preaching to meddling, all right? I'd like to ask some questions. If another person came into my world, and they compared my celebrations on Sunday. They just walked with me through the day. And they compared the celebration, the passion, the investment, and the energy that I put into the celebration that I go to on Sunday morning or on Saturday night at 6 o'clock. If they compared that celebration with the celebration that will happen tomorrow evening at 525, this celebration focuses on Jesus. This celebration focuses on large men in tight pants with helmets. If they simply compared the two celebrations and what I put into them, which would they say is my religion? And I'm not talking smack about football. Can we just tell the truth? 
If I was to honestly lay out my finances in front of a mathematician and that was the only thing that he used to qualify where it is I put my priorities, would I still be able to look him in the eye and say, Jesus is the priority of my entire world, including my finances? Or would he look down the ledger and say, apparently, Grant, your idol is caffeine. And you're a lousy tipper. (laughs) If I was to look at how I invest myself in relationships while claiming that my relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship in the world to me, if I looked honestly at the energy and the time I put into all of my other relationships, could I still stand here today and claim that Jesus is my most important friend? Or am I just kidding myself and sliding into lukewarmness? I'm not asking you, I'm asking me. Am I hot or cold or am I just kidding myself? Could anybody use a good therapist right now? Anybody could use a little a counselor maybe? Awesome, because that's exactly what God says next. Verse 18, I counsel you. So to those who just had to answer some of those questions, honestly, in a way that didn't make your heart just jump up and... and And slap yourself a high five. God says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. A person from the church in Laodicea would have gone, whoa, 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 you are already personal now. We just took that to a whole other level. Let me explain to you why. The city was known for its wealth. They were rich. And God says, I want you to exchange what you think makes you rich for a different kind of wealth. I want you to buy gold from me that's been refined in the fire. This city was also known for its production of unbelievably soft black wool. And they would make textiles and clothing out of it. And it was sought out throughout the entire known world. They were also known for an eye salve that was called friggin' powder. What a great name, huh? I'm going down to the store, get me some friggin' powder. I mean, you know, that's what it's called. And this is what God says to them. Buy gold refined in the fire. Invest in eternal spiritual treasure. Start making eternal investments. Because you need to know this. You're investing in everything and it's going to burn. Stop stockpiling stuff. Only two things are eternal. People in God's word. So invest there. Invest in gold refined in fire. Which means if you are a follower of Jesus, you should not be afraid of trials and hardships and tough questions and an aversion to easy answers because that's what actually draws us close to God as he's like, like heavenly sandpaper and buffs all of that garbage out of us so that he can see a pure reflection of himself. He says, buy white clothes to wear. Don't clothe yourself in the black wool of your own enterprise. You're just, you're not that smart. None of us are smart enough to make those wise investments. If you don't believe me, remember back to 2008. When everybody freaked out because the God of money got knocked on his can in this country. And you know where everybody went in 2008 when they realized that everything was fragile? Church. 
Here's the last one where he says, clothe yourselves as well. Instead of with just this black wool, clothe yourself in Jesus' righteousness. Clothe yourself in the white garment of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. I love the picture in Scripture of how we stand before God in our tattered rags. And God comes and wraps a robe of pure white righteousness around our shoulders. And it's the only thing that allows us to stand in front of God. Because we're covered. And then he says, make sure you get salve for your eyes. Which simply means developed honest spiritual vision. I mean, just be honest about your spiritual condition. Call it straight. Today, right now, are you hot? Is your life a place of healing that reaches out to other people that are broken and hurting? Do you actually have a place for the broken and the hurting and the messed up? Or are you like... Are you like me? It just, if it fits my schedule, I might, be able to, I might be able to work with them a little bit, but for the most part, I'm just going to kind of work my way around because after all, I'm very busy these days. Are you hot for broken people? My favorite parable in all of Scripture, the parable of the Good Samaritan. My friends, the question is not whether we're the good priest who looks after him. The question is not whether we're the guy who pays the bill. The question is, do we all understand as the people of God that we're the guy in the road and that Jesus is the one who carries us and pays the bill? Are you hot or are you cold? Do you offer refreshment and comfort and encouragement? I mean, does the love of Jesus just spill out of you like a geyser? I mean, on a hot day when somebody desperately needs a drink of living water, are you the one that's just like a cup of water in Jesus' name? Or are you lukewarm, apathetic, indifferent, and causing God to wretch? We're not done yet. Hold on. Verse 19, God says this. Those who I love... I rebuke and discipline. So if you're feeling a little spanked, that's actually God's love wanting something better for you. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. For years, we've used this verse incorrectly as an evangelistic verse, but I want to point it out to you again. That verse, behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's written to believers. Believers who know Jesus but are lukewarm. This amazes me. If this isn't the grace of God, I don't know what is. I mean... This is what God is saying to the indifferent and the casual, to the lifers and the pre-processed, to the, of course I go to church, I'm one of the good people. To all of those of us who fall under those categories, God whispers this truth, I'm knocking. And I will not go away until you let me in. Because I love you too much to drown in a pool of lukewarm water. That's awesome. I wrote the truth this way. God graciously offers deeper relationship to lukewarm, apathetic believers who've lost their temperature. That was so unbelievably life-giving to me this week. 
He doesn't just brush me off. It's like, come on, Grant, step closer. Let's do this. God's whispering. Let's go deeper. He's saying, I'll take you either way. I can take you hot or take you cold. I want you to be victorious, church, not vomit. Thus saith the Lord. So what are we going to do? Let's re-engage. Let's press in. Let's be a church of extremes. Let's turn the temperature way, way up or way, way down. The one thing we don't want to do is just sit. God wraps up with these words in verse 21. To the one who's victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. You want something to aspire to? God like to, he would like to share the seat with you. So come on, I'll move right on over. I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Last week, Pastor Todd told us why we're here. We're not here because we're just a really cool group of people who've somehow figured out how to tap into God's blessing. We are here. The only reason we are here is because Jesus made a promise that he would build his church, and for some reason, he picked a group of completely messed up people to have be his plan A, and there is no plan B, and we are the fulfillment to that promise. Oh, how blessed are you and me, right? Wow. That's why we're here. Let me tell you why we can't stay here. Because some of you are like, no, let's just, no, let's just stay here. We're a good church, right? We got padded seats with cup holders. <laughs> We're a good church. We planted like th- we planted Ferndale. We planted Redeemer away back. We planted Sudden Valley. We, plant, we, we planted Southside. We planted, I mean, look at all this cool stuff that we're, that we have a food bank. Look at us. We have a beautiful room with air conditioning. We have big screens and fancy technology. We've got cool people with, with really nice guitars. We like it just the way it is. Let, let's just stay here and enjoy it for a little while. If a cup of hot water sits there long enough, it becomes lukewarm. If a cup of ice cold water sits there long enough, it has an inevitable end. It will end up lukewarm room temperature. Let me tell you why we can't just stay here lukewarm, comfortable, safe within the four walls of our little church. I tell you, this is why we we can't stay here because if we do, if we just hang out, if we hope that somebody else will go next door and sing Jesus loves me to the children down the kids' wing, if we just sit here and hope that somebody else will speak for Jesus in my workplace, if we sit here and go, somebody else will give sacrificially, somebody else will feed the hungry, somebody else will certainly invite my neighbors to church. If we just leave it alone, if we don't mess with it, it's only a matter of time until the hot cools down and the cold warms up and we all end up lukewarm. May it never be.
So here's the agonizing application of this week. What's God saying to us about our spiritual temperature? Just be honest. Hot, cold, lukewarm. I'll be honest with me. I did not like my answer. Question number two, will we be obedient to His counsel? I mean, is this just going to be another message or could it possibly be a wake-up call? Are you going to walk away this weekend out into the parking lot and go, Grant seemed grumpy. (laughs) What was up with that? No hug this week, right? What if it's him? Come on, church. What if it's him tapping right now? Are we wise enough to repent of our lukewarmness and actually receive his counsel? Are we actually open to doing the unthinkable, actually changing? Are we just going to settle back in and wait for next week when Grant brings a couple more jokes that we like? Last question, will we open the door to God and be victorious? Or will we close the door and nail it shut and embrace our lukewarmness and suffer the consequences of ending up spread all over a sidewalk? I have a burning passion to see Christ the King Community Church become a church of extremes. May the hot become hotter and the cold become colder and the lukewarm become increasingly uncomfortable as we pursue Jesus in everything. That's the vision, and that's all I have to say about that. Let's pray. Father God, would you stir it up in me? Would you take my lazy, robotic expression of faith and turn it into the life-giving, joyful expression of a child who believes they have the full attention of their father? God, would you burn this so deeply in us that the world thinks we are off? Would you teach us what it means to laugh and dance in your presence without giving a second thought of who's watching. Father God, would you make the Bible come alive to us? May it singe our ears. May it burn off our eyebrows. May it do anything but allow us to become comfortable again. Father, we don't want to be Laodicea. We want to be Bellingham, Washington, Whatcom County, city and country, sinner and saved. And we want to make you famous with the heat that comes from our soul or the cold refreshing that comes from our hearts. Let him who has ears to hear hear what God says to the churches. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
so easy to just blow through these moments, isn't it? We have a moment, you're like, I'm okay, you're okay, is everybody okay? Maybe we shouldn't be okay. Maybe we should do what he says and repent if repentance is needed. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to worship God with a couple of closing songs. We're going to give back to God our tithes and our offerings. If you're a guest, be a guest. Let the offering pass you by. We don't want anything from you at all if you're visiting. Thanks for coming. I hope you'll come back. I really do. Thanks, bro. But tonight, Mike and the group, they're going to sing a song, and, and you may not know the tune to it, and it doesn't matter. Would you just allow the prayer that's going to ripple across these screens that we're so blessed to have? And would you just let them push what's happening in your brain 18 inches down into your heart? I'm going to go sit by Kevin and try and do the same thing. But the ushers are going to start in the back, work their way towards the front, and when the offering has passed you by, whether you know the song or not, I'm going to ask you to stand and just let it soak. And then we're going to make a declaration. I love the song. One thing remains. Not two things, not three things, not the three things that Grant likes. One thing remains, Jesus and Jesus alone. That sounds like an awesome national anthem for a group of hot or cold believers to sing. Would you join me?